Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. What's up? And welcome to another episode of Social Jello with Angelo podcast. I am here with T. Kent Nelson of KSK Martial Arts. Now, for those of you watching, as you know, I sometimes just jump on the internet and contact random people I don't know, ask them to come on the show, and some of them usually tell me to fuck off. T. Kent Nelson did not do that, so he's on the show with us today. Uh, one of the things I want to say is, uh, I know a lot of you, I want to say thank you to the Kempo. I have like a huge Kempo following right now. A lot of Kempo guys are following this. Uh, I do. I teach Kaja Kempo, so I'm in that community, and by default, a lot of Kempo people also have come along. So thank you for that. Um, I'm going to remind those people, this is not the Kaju Kimbo podcast. People have been saying that lately. It's it's not. It's not. It's just me. It's called the Social Jello with Angelo podcast. Although I do appreciate the uh, support from that community. So I came across Ken. I'm just going to, I'm going to do a share screen here real quick. because uh, I'm going to let him introduce himself. But I came across him because I, I when I was looking at his stuff, it just reminded me of a lot of the stuff from the community I work with. So like, um, it was a mix of stuff. Like here you have a nice guy guard pass. So a little bit of Brazilian jiu-jitsu going on here. Um, I noticed some combatives too. Like when I was going down your page, there was a lot of like combatives with knife stuff too, which I thought was interesting. Um, a lot of the people, communities I work with work with the FMA community, the Filipino martial arts community. So I, I thought it was kind of cool that um, when I was looking at your school, there was a little bit of everything going on, which um, which I thought was pretty cool. And that's why I was like, hey, I'm going to, have this guy on the show he kind of reminds me of some of the people i've talked to from the uh communities that i've worked with in the past so just to kind of get out there uh so ken tell us a little bit about your school what what uh what kind of programs are you running and um how and why are you doing what you do you know starting off with like a big huge all-encompassing question <laughs> yeah <laughs> you don't have to answer it specifically uh, <laughs> Well, we're, uh, uh, I'm located in uh, Lansing, Michigan, uh, in the United States. Uh, and I guess you could, uh, you could consider myself or, or my school more of a, a Jeet Kune Do concepts-based school. But we run a, uh, run a Filipino martial arts program. Uh, I love Kali. I've been doing Kali forever, for 20 years, I think, uh, this year. I've been doing martial arts overall for 39 years. Um, been doing the Filipino martial arts for 20 years. Uh, we run the Filipino martial arts program. I have a Jeet Kune Do concepts program. Uh, also, we have a Brazilian jiu-jitsu program. I've been doing the Brazilian jiu-jitsu for 14 years, I think. Uh, we also have a, a, like a little kids program and a teens program. Um, and then I personally study a few other things. Like I'm really into, uh, I'm really into like Rute, uh, which is an Okinawan martial arts. Uh, I studied, uh, I spent about 15 years uh, studying with Tadashi Yamashita, kind of following him around as well. In the Shoren Ru. Uh, I dabble in the internal arts as well into the same Rute teacher. Um, I, I I do it all, man. It's it's all I do really is martial arts, is constantly. <laughs> well, I don't think it's kind of silly, but I'm biased. So <laughs> you're, you're talking to the wrong, you're asking the wrong person. Anybody watching, we're all you're, you're talking to a large biased crowd. So anybody watching is just like, oh yeah, that's a, all right. Sounds about sounds <laughs> about normal to to any other crazy person that. <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that we do sounds normal to me i you know <laughs> you like playing with knives yeah that's normal yeah <laughs> that's normal it's normal so um i'm looking here at some of the stuff you mentioned and um i guess we'll, we'll, let's 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 do a let's do a rollback all the way back and this is a, this is something i ask everybody on the show um and everybody's origin story what got you into martial arts? Why um, we are we saw where you are now. We already <laughs> talked about that. We, we we just saw your Facebook page. But w how did you get started in martial arts? What was the reason? Everybody has a different reason, but why why did you get started in martial arts? And what art did you start in? Oh man, you know for the for the lack of man, I don't uh, as cliche as it sounds. It, it was it was the Karate Kid movie. <laughs> nice. I was you know it's night night. Yeah, it's just 1985. I'm like, so I, that made me like seven, something like that. And um, my parents went over to go hang out with their friends. And they basically plopped me down in front of the TV because I was a kid. They didn't want, you know, a little kid hanging around with the adults. 
And uh, they were like, here, check this out. And, you know, the, the karate kid was just fresh released on VHS and they, they popped it in and there I sat and I just changed my whole viewpoint, you know, on everything in life. And it gave me an identity and something I, I, I knew I liked it. I was drawn to it. I didn't know why. I love the character of Mr. Miyagi. Daniel can, you know, uh, <laughs> Mr. Miyagi, like I, there was something about that dude that kind of drew me to him, you know, and um, uh, it, that sort of spawned into, you know, my, my mom saw a Taekwondo class at the local YMCA and was like, hey, did you want to try this? Because, you know, she saw like that movie and I was like, sure. And it's just been a nonstop ride since I was seven years old. Uh, just, just loving it. I've had the opportunity. So from then, you know, I, I did, I went through Taekwondo that got me into Japanese karate, uh, that eventually led to other things eventually, you know, leading to like training with Tadashi Yamashita, training with, uh, Sayu Oyata, um, being able to train with Guru Dan and Asanto. I've been, uh, studying him now for, I think like 23, 24 years, um, I trained with, uh, that eventually led to, you know, getting involved with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which led me to training with Professor Chet Skemahorn, who's directly into the Gracies and just so much. Like it's, it's hard to like mention everybody and give everybody their dues and all that kind of stuff. I, I cause it would take forever, but I got, a, I got a lot of awesome people I've had the opportunity to work with and a lot of folks that I'm, I'm grateful for to be able to work with for sure. And it, it's just, uh, it's been a wonderful ride in my life. And I, I, uh, I'm, I am super grateful for, for, for that one stupid movie, <laughs> just changed the whole trajectory of, of how I was going, you know, it, it wasn't a stupid movie. I personally still enjoy watching karate kid or so once in a while. Like, and I think it's, it kind of shows like a, a generational gap. Like when I talk to people about why they got into martial arts, um, a lot of the guys from the, the previous generation before mine from the seventies, 60s will always mention bruce lee and then a lot yeah, of a yeah. lot of a lot of, the, a lot of the guys like me from like the 80s generation they'll mention karate kid or or like van damme and and all those other and all those other action <laughs> 80s movies of, of why they go wesley snipes like these are the kind of, these are the kinds of names that come up for the 80s generation martial artists so I mean, well, wrong well you, you know what's interesting What's interesting to me is that, you know, as I, as I look back on that, cause I was a kid, I didn't really know what drew me, you know, um, you know, the, Miyagi himself in that movie, you know, uh, even though his, his fight scenes were played by Fumio Demura, who just recently passed, um, even though like, uh, it wasn't flashy, fancy, anything like that, it was, it was the character of him. It was, it was who he was, not what he did. So it wasn't like, you know, Van Damme, who's doing all these fancy helicopter kicks or Seagal, who was chopping people in the neck and inverting them as he did it, you know, and like taking them down. Or, uh, although I will say that I was a, a, a Shokasugi fan for a long time. Like I, I was just in time for the ninja, for the ninja boom. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, it, it was the, it was the character of Mr. Miyagi and who he was and, and, um, I think the relationship that he built with his student uh, that that was attractive to me and drew me to that. And I, I think it, it formed a blueprint in my mind um, for what to look for in life for some reason. And I've just been walking that path. No, I, I don't think I would have always admitted that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Look for, for me, for me, for me, even though I'm one of the eighties people, for me it ended up being Bruce Lee. Um, one of my, one of my friends, my friends, one of my cousin, my cousin, my cousin got me, well, I, my cousin told me about Bruce Lee and I saw a video of him. Uh, I didn't even see the whole movie and I was very young, uh, cause my parents were really against violence and I wasn't allowed to watch violent films and me and my cousin, he's like, check this out. And he just, I just remember it was like. He paused it on that fight scene where he's in the mirrors. And he's got the cut on his chest, and he's like, "It was just, oh, it was just it was, yeah, that's I thought it was, the dragon." the dragon, but it was at that last part. I didn't even know what movie it was. I, from my perspective, it was like a horror flick because this guy's like, got he's all bloody. He's yeah. he's some guy stalking him, and I'm like, "Holy crap!" He's telling me he's, we're watching a horror film with a with, no, a, with a with a Wolverine yeah, knife, with a Wolverine hand knife coming, hand at, you, coming you know? at you, and I know where he beats <laughs> the crap out of the guy. And I'm like. Whoa, that's crazy! <laughs> so everybody has their own reason, and I don't. I think there is a pretty cool thread of how pop culture affects people in, in real life. So I think it's interesting how, for the Mr. Miyagi character, that that prototype and that that relationship he had with his student, 
a lot of different people kind of saw that as that's that's what you shoot for like when you're doing a martial art and it's funny how like as time goes by different people have different reasons of why they get into martial arts and it changes what kind of arts they're attracted to it changes them as a person i think it's pretty cool now i have another question oh i have a lot of questions so just get used to that um (laughs) hopefully i have a lot of questions so you went from taekwondo to okinawan karate um when uh how long did you do taekwondo for about seven years. I'd say seven from time I was seven years old until I was fourteen years old. Okay, cool. And I'm I'm assuming you probably for in seven years in Taekwondo you ended up with your black belt there, right? Maybe? Yes, sir. Okay, I made an assumption. Yes, I figured probably, <laughs> most likely for seven years. So when you you got your black belt in Taekwondo, what made you? You're fourteen. What made you get into Okinawan karate? How that how that happened? Uh, well, you know, if I'm being perfectly honest, and this is not to slam Taekwondo or offend any of my Taekwondo friends, because I definitely have some Taekwondo friends out there, but uh, I got into a fight. And that uh, my jump spinning hook kick was not there like I thought it was going to be, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I pretty much got knocked unconscious by a punch. And I was like, what do you mean you punch me in the face? You can't do that. We don't do that when we spar. And um, it just led to me looking around to see what else was available in my area. And there were different types of karate available. Basically, it was Taekwondo and karate in my area. And um, so there was, you know, my, my father basically took me around until we found a place that uh, he felt was kind of sort of financially, I guess, available or, or, or viable for him along with like what he felt. Um, and it's hard to even say, you know, like, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about stepping on people's toes and there's so many amazing people in this area. Um, but essentially uh, it kind of goes like this. My father who didn't do any martial arts at all. Uh, you know, we had, we saw a couple of different teachers. One teacher said, I will start you off at brown belt. Cause you were so high in Taekwondo. And another teacher said, I will start you off at white belt in Taekwondo or in, in karate, because it's not the same art. And my dad was like brown belt. And cause I invested so much time. And, and so I went that, I went with that particular teacher. I learned a ton of stuff there. It was great. I love that school. It was called Anderson's karate dojo. Uh, and, and at that school, I was exposed to, uh, Okinawan karate, uh, I was also exposed to uh, Ruku Kobujitsu there. Uh, I got exposed to, uh, was my first exposure to Nihon Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, I, think, I think the instructor there teaching that was Sensei Tai Young. I got, a, I got an opportunity to do a little bit of kendo under Sensei Ron Fox. I got a chance to expose, I think, uh, to, from, to Iaido while I was there as well. Um, it, that was, that was, that was great. I spent about three years there. I made some good friends. Uh, one of them, I still talk to today. As a matter of fact, he comes and trains with me. Uh, and we, we roll around the mat together and we both do jujitsu now and under two different instructors, you know, which is really cool. Uh, so we get to get together and kind of compare styles and, um, and, but I got exposed to a lot of different things there and I got to see more than just, more than just a different cultures method but I got to see several methods versus just one art. I got to train about four different arts and that really opened up my mind. And that led me to different places, uh, different people, which eventually led me to instructors like Gurudan and Asanto, who, who was very, very different in his mindset. You know, he wasn't like, you have to be this style or that style. He was like, you need to be you and train everything you want to train as long as it works for you. And, uh, I, I think I think he's the largest influence for me is probably Guru Dan and Santo because because uh, I took that advice. You know, I, anybody that would tell me you can do nothing else but this, I just I just walk, I just walk. You know, it's like somebody telling you you can only have spaghetti for the rest of your life and no other dishes. Yeah, or you can have ice cream but only vanilla. <laughs> right, right. You know, only vanilla. <laughs> I want flavor. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's uh, so. So it's interesting because, and again. Um, for anybody watching, maybe you're, you, maybe you're, some of your people are going to be watching this podcast as well. Um, and I know I'm not going to go too far into this because people who watch my show already know a lot about this. Uh, so Kaju Kenbo is an acronym. It comes from Hawaii and Ka is for karate, Ju is for jiu-jitsu, Ken is for Kenpo Kung Fu, and uh, Bo is for boxing and kickboxing. So it, it's kind of baked in that our guys are going to be training with lots of people. 
it's and a lot of the people that do the art come from other arts so mm-hmm. i got kind of le- well i wasn't lucky it wasn't by chance that i chose this art i didn't in my in my story i i got jumped so you you said you got in a street fight i i, came, I was in a yeah. rough neighborhood and um my dad taught me a little bit of boxing but nothing professionally i just knew how to throw a few punches and i got jumped and i realized that i need to learn how to fight like really fight so i ended up go getting together with my cousin and we started a fight club where we were like 12 and there was adults i don't know this is crazy like the more the, the older i get the crazier it sounds like at the time it just seemed normal we're like hey we need to learn how to fight i understand <laughs> we just need to learn how to fight so let's let's get a fight club together me and we're gonna get some sparring gear hey doesn't your friend do some karate or something he's like yeah he does some style of karate i don't know what it is he's a black belt he teaches it okay ask him if he wants to train with us on, on the weekend so this this adult <laughs> this adult this this grown man shows up with these two 12 year olds in their front yard with sparring gear and starts kind of coaching us and oh it and sounds and, so and, familiar and he's, and he's and i mean he wasn't a stranger so like there wasn't stranger danger happening he was he was a family member he was like he was my uh he was my my aunt's brother on my uh, not blood related so like kind of family someone we know and we always made fun mm-hmm. of him because he did karate oh he does that karate stuff but then after i got jumped we're like we got to find someone who knows how to fight so so this guy's always this guy was we had a lot of stories in our family of this guy getting into fights so we're like okay he knows how to fight let's have him come and then he's like oh, i know this other guy so then we had another guy who was like a taekwondo guy who was a black belt guy and they'd get together and we'd all spar and then some guys and this this little group just grew like it just kept growing every weekend there'd be a different guy a different adult now we have a lot of adults and a few teenagers and we're all just sparring with people with different backgrounds some people do karate some people do boxing some people are one guy showed up and he was doing like street fights like he was doing like underground street fights like on his own like he was oh. cage fighting and this is back in the 90s so i don't we never really asked we're just like hey you want to throw on the gloves here's the rules and just, we just spar and stuff as that developed then later on i turned 18 i finally started some formal training later and I ended up looking for something that was similar to that. And that's why I ended well, my neighbor taught Kajakembo. <laughs> so like, that's that's how I ended up in Kajakembo. And I'm like, okay, this looks very similar to the crazy people that I was hanging out with as a teen. <laughs> so I'll, I'll go with them. So when I'm listening to your story, like I'm seeing some similarities as far as like mixing things up, a lot of different styles. Do we... Uh, when you said when you said we put on sparring pads and go spar in the front yard i like i used to bring my like my my next door neighbor eric would come over my best friend dennis would come over i try to get anybody else over we could and we would you know because like i had all the pads because i was doing taekwondo you know so i try to get my friends together and we'd be sparring and that kind of stuff in the front yard and and you know hey if you were if you were having to drive past our house on your way home from work every day you were always driving past this group of you know three to five kids that were just beating the heck out of each other right there next to the road, all padded up back in those days. Like, I hear you, man. <laughs> Good to know it wasn't just me. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, yeah, exactly. That's, that's just, uh, so you were the guy. Like, So we weren't from normal schools, but we had someone like you who went to a normal school and they told uh, he, that guy told us, that kid told us, hey, you probably should put some sparring gear on because we were just... <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> gear like we, yeah so like, you probably should put some sparring gear what's sparring gear so that's, that's that's how this all happened so looking here you mentioned some styles which i thought was interesting you mentioned um something i i haven't heard of uh, ruku kubu jitsu did, did i say that right uh the it was when i was uh training under uh anderson's karate dojo he he did a kobudo system which he called ruku kobu jitsu which i guess is just like like ruku kempo Oh, okay, uh, okay, okay. Or not okay. Ruki, not Ruki Kempo. I'm sorry, not Ruki Kempo. Like Ruki Kobudo. Okay. Cool. Um, you know, which is just the 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 Japanese the Japanese or Okinawan weaponry. Oh, okay. Um, okay, you know, okay. Now I do now, now I do now I do Rute Kobudo. Uh, but I've played with Ruki Kobudo. I played with Mariyoshi Kobudo. Uh, and now I'm I'm really into the into the Rute Kobudo. Uh, very different flavor, very different feel. Um, I do it for entirely different reasons now than I than I did then. I actually got away from all that stuff for like two decades and and now I'm back to it again. Um, you know, it's interesting, like the different phases we go through in life, you know, cause for, in the beginning it was like, I, I was pretty sure I was destined to become Mr. Miyagi. And then it was, <laughs> then it was like, I was pretty sure I wanted to be a ninja, you know? <laughs> and then, and then, uh, then I, you know, that turned into like, I wanted to be, uh, uh, like I wanted to know how to fight, 
you know, so I really got into like the, the combative aspect of it, you know, and then, and as I've gotten older and I've gotten opportunities to train with instructors and be, and be with instructors, by the way, that are advanced in their years, you know, like Guru Dan Inosanto is now 87 years old. Uh, Oyata, Oyata passed away in his early eighties. Uh, I believe Yamashita sensei is in his early eighties, uh, right now. Um, you know, I mean, even, uh, you know, I think it was, uh, Elio Gracie was like, uh, earlier mid nineties when he passed and being able to sort of like watch the trajectory of the old men and be able to say, say like, what, what is it they can still do as they're getting older, you know, and look at the people that like dropped off at a certain point in time and be like, why? Well, because certain, certain arts are too hard on the body as you get older and, you know, certain arts will, will break you down. You know, certain arts just uh, uh, are good. <clears throat> certain arts you just age out of, right? Like there are certain arts that, that uh, you know, are you familiar with uh, the karate nerd, Jesse Encamp, uh, yes. all over YouTube? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so he has, a, he has a great video out there, a little plug for Jesse. We don't know each other at all, by the way, but I think he's, I think he's great. I love watching this stuff. Jesse, if you're watching, good stuff. Um, and he has a video on like the, like the 10, like 10 differences between Japanese and Okinawan karate. And he talks about uh, in it, how Okinawan karate is, is designed to evolve with you as you get older. So that, you know, uh, as you change your karate can change. Whereas like a lot of Japanese karate is very, very hard and stiff and needs to look a certain way. And, it, and that gets, and requires a little bit more athletic ability and therefore people age out of it uh, over time. And that's not good or bad. That's just what that is. Right. And, uh, and I think, I've really sort of taken that to heart, especially by looking at like uh, looking at the C lot, looking at the jujitsu, looking at the Kali, looking at the Rute, you know, looking at the internal arts. You know, what are things that that I see my teachers being able to do later and later and later in life uh, versus like, oh, yeah, that guy's that guy's awesome or was awesome. Now he sits in his chair with his big belt and he, and he tells other people what to do, but he doesn't actually do it. You know, I still try to get in there and train with my students when I can. And, and uh, I want that. I don't, I don't want the, the, the atrophy and the decay, you know, to, to creep in, although it is. I just turned 46 and like, wow. It, like, yeah, it creeps in. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's it, for sure. It does. It does. My, uh, yeah. A, a lifetime of, of doing this comes with a lifetime of, of injuries. So, 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 so yeah, I, I yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's true. And I, I think it's really important as a teacher. I try now to, to really instill that with my students to think about like what, you know, not just, not just the, the fighting aspect of it, but to think about like, do you want to be doing this 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, or do you just want to know how to throw a good punch and be good at it in case you get jumped over the next three to five years of your life? And then after that, what do you got? You know? Um, so it's, it's to, to me, it's, it's about the long haul. It's not, it's not about what can I do tomorrow. It's about what can I do for all of my tomorrows, you know? And so, yeah, so yeah, I think that's, all right, so I'm going to get back to the questions I had, but you're on a really good point here as far as aging and doing martial arts. I was telling you off camera, I've turned 42 next week. And, there and I was telling you, you look good for 42, man. You, you look great. You said 47? <laughs> is that 46, you said? No, I, I just turned 46 in November. 46. You look great for, 40, for, for 46. You look great. Thank you. Um, but I said the disbenefit of that, of looking young in this sport is, you have you have young people coming in, especially if you do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You have young guys coming in, and and they're, they're, they 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 they'll go at you hard. You gotta remind I gotta remind them, hey 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 hey, I, I'm in the masters division now, and not like master like master like I call it the old man division. I'm in the old man division, guys. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't compete with you youngins anymore. Like that, my, that's that's <laughs> no that's that's no joke. That's no joke about that coming in and just coming at you hard. And I've I've had to tell people like like dude like yeah you got to ease up. Like I'll ask them how old are you think I'm 21. I'll be like all right. Well while you go hit the bar, I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna like hit the hit the tub with the lavender bath salts and you know like I'm gonna get the heating pad out. And I'm gonna be in bed by 9:30. You know like all that kind of all that kind of craziness. It's a it's a different world. Yeah, no, it is. It definitely is. So and I know. So earlier, when you were talking about the different stuff you wanted to be, I think everybody, just about everybody, wanted to be a ninja. If you if you did any martial arts around the '80s, everybody wanted to be a ninja. Um, 
Oh yeah. Uh, there was there was a guy I met who who when I was coming up who who said he was a ninja and and my other my instructor at the time was like bring the ninjas over and we'll do some sparring and <laughs> he never bring took the them. ninja. <laughs> you can bring the ninjas over. We'll do some sparring and we brought those guys over and we and we did some sparring. So it's an eighties thing. That's all I gotta say. I you know I I I put I put some research into that. I you know I I uh, I did I did find a a ninjutsu teacher a guy that was a, a nidan in ninjutsu under a Hatsumi, and I did uh, I did private lessons with him for a while. Um, just to kind of get a flavor of it, you know. Uh, I have a friend that, that I actually trained with uh, back during, during those days at the Anderson's Karate Dojo. His name was uh, Jess Attili. And, and uh, I caught up with Jess uh, online, you know, through, through the magic of Facebook because uh, I hadn't talked to him since I was like 14 years old. And I, I caught up with him and saw that like he he did it. He went and he studied ninjutsu and he's a he's a black he's a black belt in ninjutsu now. And I was like, dude, that's that's cool that you did that, you know, like actual ninja all right sweet yeah, yeah they're, they're 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 out there they're out there you can't see them though they're, they're out there they're, they're... <laughs> had to say it <laughs> well played well played so you also mentioned nihon jujitsu and the, the reason i'm breaking this down is because i always assume that the person listening i always also assume that someone watching this might not be a martial artist at all so um so i, I or maybe they're interested in martial arts but they might not know so from my, from you saying Nihon Jiu-Jitsu, I'm just going to put together the idea that Nihon means Japan. So because uh, mm-hmm. I, I speak Japanese, so I, I know that. And then, um, so Japanese Jiu-Jitsu. Now I will say from my experience with Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, there's a lot of different types of Japanese Jiu-Jitsu. I can do a whole podcast just trying to break that down. But um, for you, what was the kind of Japanese Jiu-Jitsu that, that they were going over at that school? So, you know, at that time, uh, I, I was a teenager. Uh, so at that time, the majority of the jujitsu was like a lot of uh, like a lot of standing joint locks, things like that. Um, a little bit on the ground. Um, you know, uh, my 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 primary source of jujitsu is Brazilian jujitsu. Um, and I've been that's what I've been focusing on for for the last 14 years when it comes to my groundwork. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I do have a very good friend, Sensei Nick Suino, um, who who is very high level in Nihon jujitsu. And uh, we actually just had his school come visit our school uh, uh, right at the end of December there. And we sort of had like a, like a, like a, not a school versus school, but basically we call it like a, like a, like a KSK Japanese martial arts center play date. <laughs> we, you know, the two groups get together and we roll and kind of have fun comparing the two, the two movements. And uh, I always have fun doing that to see the differences in jujitsu versus jujitsu. Cause you know, even like with inside of Brazilian jujitsu, you know, there's vast differences. Um, and so then to see like the, the more, the, the Nihon jujitsu, the Japanese side of it, even, even more so, uh, but it's really hard for me to kind of like break down exactly the difference. Cause I was so young then, you know, but it was far more stand up joint locking than it was stuff on the ground compared to what I do now. Uh, but if you really want to get into like, like uh, understanding Nihon jujitsu and judo, I would highly recommend you do a podcast with, with, uh, with Sensei Nick Suino from the Japanese martial arts center. He's, he's uh, very skilled. And he also, I believe lived in Japan uh, as well for a while. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, most, I think you, you kind of summed it up pretty well. Standing joint locks is, is what you were covering. And that's just what I'm looking for. Like what, um, just have whoever's watching can have an idea of what you were going through at that point in time. And then you also mentioned Yidel. Which is interesting because you're the first American that I've talked to that's mentioned Yaido. I've I've heard Japanese people. Um, I met a Polish Polish martial artist out here in Japan who said she did Yaido, and mm-hmm. even she told me that Yaido is not as popular as its predecessor, um, which is uh, I just said Kendo, Kendo. Kendo and and Budo, and a lot a lot of the Japanese weapons martial arts are more popular than Yaido. Yaido is like the more in Japan. And I don't know how, what's going on in America with it, but um, in Japan, Yaido is more like the not as popular. So whenever she would talk to her clients here in Japan, because she was English teachers, she she'd say, "Hi, I do Yaido," and the, her Japanese clients would be like, "What's that?" She's like it's a Japanese martial art. I'm like, really, I've never heard of it. Is it kendo? That's always the first thing they're going to go to, right? Because that's 
the big ones out here for the pop- general population are going to be judo and kendo. Everybody mm-hmm. knows what that is. And then when we start talking about jujitsu, that's when things get kind of like, oh, okay, I kind of kind of know what you're talking about, kind of don't. Um, but yeah, those are the big ones out here because it's in the you know, judo's in the Olympics, and then kendo, although not in the Olympics, is still taught at schools. So judo and kendo are taught at school. Judo being and still baseball is the most popular. I just did another podcast about this, like how popular are martial arts in Japan? Baseball. The baseball and soccer are the number two, like the two biggest sports in Japan. Most people you ask them what you do at school, it's gonna be soccer or baseball. Really? And then if it's a martial art, judo. Judo will be there. And then or kendo. If they decide to choose martial arts, it'll probably be judo or kendo. And um, is karate popular at all? At school, no, not every school has a karate program. Some do. Um, what I was doing, my oh, you're talking about like within the educational system. Yes, I'm talking about within the education. Okay, I got and that, and I got be, you. I got but you. because of that, that's going to be your general population too, right? Because once you're in the educational system, you're in every town. So judo yeah. and kendo, because of being in the public school system and private school system, there's private and public schools out here. Because they know most junior high schools, most junior high schools will have a judo or kendo program, both. Usually they have both. Every town will have a judo or kendo club. So that's going to be a big amount of people coming in. So that's going to, that's, those are your, like your bigger, those are your most popular martial arts. And then kickboxing, because they watch kickboxing. So that kickboxing, even though it's not being taught at any schools, that's going to be the other thing that they start gravitating towards is, is kickboxing. Um mm-hmm. So you, it's it's interesting you mentioned Yaido because again like a, this is tying it back to what you were saying it um, Yaido is not as popular out here um, but it's interesting that whenever I see like when I hear what I've heard of Yaido it's usually Gaikokujin oh I just said a Japanese word it's usually non-Japanese people <laughs> that mention Yaido to me it's not Japanese people mentioning Yaido to me it's like a non-Japanese person who was exposed to it mm-hmm. and it's because from what the Polish uh, martial artist explained to me, Yaido did a very good job of marketing internationally and starting associations around the world. And that's why a lot of quote unquote foreigners practice Yaido. So, and then there's different types of Yaido. So uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to, I'm just trying to break it down for whoever's listening. What, when you said Yaido, what that means, um, what, and again, you don't have to break down, like, I'm not, I'm not doing a podcast on Yaido. It's just, it's just to give the listener an idea of what you were exposed to at that time. So again, it, it can be a very simple explanation. What were you? What were you being shown as Yaido? What, 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 what kinds of things did you do that were Yaido? In- so I, I got to do Yaido and Kendo at the same time uh, because I, I believe they were taught by the same instructor uh, that, that came in, uh, and the both are very very different flavors, right? So like with with you know if I were to explain it to somebody that has no experience and like, I mean, completely make it as simple as possible. You know, Iaido to me, uh, I would describe it as the art of drawing and cutting, meaning like you start with sword sheath, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's how clean and how accurate you can, you can draw the blade, uh, do the damage you need to do, you know, find your piece in a perfect motion, you know, and return it. Uh, whereas Kendo is more based out of like the swords already drawn and we are going at it back and forth, you know, like, so Kendo becomes like the exchange where Eido is not looking for an exchange. Eido is looking for one motion, one cut it's over. And so it's a different mindset, you know, if that, if that helps. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, that, that does, that does, that really does. So, like the, like and, the art of the, like the art of the quick draw versus, you know, if you think about it, like, like gunfighting, you know, you think about like in the old West, it's the art of the quick draw versus like, you know, I'm, we're going to pull out our guns and just spray away. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it makes sense. It makes sense. And, and that's why I always ask, because I know that I also know from talking to the Polish martial artists that uh, uh, the way Yaido is practiced outside of Japan is different from the way it's practiced in Japan. And that's why I just I was just oh, trying wow. to. Throw in, yeah, and I, I, yeah, it is. It is. Um, I don't want to go too far, too far down this rabbit hole. But uh, yeah, I don't know I, much about Iaido. But 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 but, uh, but I will say that from what she explained to me, what you just said, um, at her school in Poland, she was already using a sword. I forgot how many years she was using, how many years she was doing. She was doing it for a long time. But in Poland, she was already using a sword. But when she came back to Japan, they told her that the amount of years that she practiced the, the that style 
did not qualify her to hold a real sword and she had to go back to the wooden sword oh. so like they're very wow. they're very and eh, that's just a very japanese thing they, they love like eh, this is so japan like one of the, one of the, it's again i don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole but like when i started doing kickboxing and i lost my first kickboxing match for not looking like a kickboxer i won the fight i beat the crap out of this guy and the judges because <laughs> i didn't knock him out gave him the fight and they docked me points for wearing the wrong pants they docked me because they said oh you had a i was wearing i was wearing my uh because uh, i came i just got here from america and i was wearing my open martial arts tournament uh karate my uh continuous sparring gear you know you know what i'm talking about it's like the loosely fitting clothes it's kind of baggy it's um sure. it's like a mesh it's not a karate gi and it's not kickboxing shorts it's just loosely fitting clothes that you can move quickly in and it had mm -hmm. pockets they had pockets i didn't even notice that so they docked me points on having pockets and they told me that this is going to come back later we're docking you points for having pockets and i'm like all right and well, then, every everybody knows that you can't kickbox with pockets, man. Come on. No, you can't. He said that's what they told me. Someone's <laughs> foot can get stuck in your pocket, and they can get hurt. So, like, I'm just like, okay, well, okay, well, like, you know, I was taught, I was taught early in my martial arts career not to argue with judges or referees. So, like, all right, sounds good. Yeah. So, so we'll tape up the pockets. Yeah. So they were just looking at me like I was a noob, and then I ended up losing by by decision, and I was so pissed. So I went to a to to tie into this how Japan works. I went to a kickboxing coach who was also a karate instructor. And the first thing he did mm -hmm. was, okay, he made me throw a jab straight for a month. A month. No kicks. Just a jab straight. <laughs> so I'd come in, and he made me throw a thousand punches. And that was my training. And he'd hold the mitts, and he'd, he'd, he'd allow combinations during mitt training. But, okay, so what should I do on my own? I'd always ask him, because I'm going to be – I only can come in here. You only teach twice a week. What do I do at my gym? And he's like, oh, I just want you to do the jab straight. And then next week, all right, next month, all right, you're only going to be doing roundhouse kicks from a, a neutral stance. We're going to put two chairs, make sure you do and That's just very Japanese. You're starting back with the basics. And they just love doing that to people who are non-Japanese. So, yeah, that's your... I, I was, I was going to ask you, did, did you feel that that was due to your cultural differences? Or do you, did you feel that that was part of the culture, you know, like single-mindedness is the way, kind of the, you know... You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think it was a little. Like bit I can, of, I can see, I can see that in both directions. You know, I can see yeah, that yeah. being like, you're doing, you're gonna do this because this is how we are, and I can see it being like, you're gonna do this because you're not us. Yeah, you know, I can bit, see it being both ways. A little bit of both. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit of yeah. both. Eventually, he accepted me, and we all started. He, he started mixing up his training two months in. I, I think it was mostly uh, kind of like the way they'll, they'll do what they used to do with catch wrestling, right? They'd make they, the guys they didn't like. They had to do a thousand crunches or they had, to, they had to do kettlebell training the whole time and then the guys they liked got to train right away and that, it was some of, some of that too so yeah now looking at the next part of your story you ended up in jikundo so you, you mentioned okinawan karate for a while there and nihon jiu-jitsu yaido and then you said mm -hmm. then i started doing jikundo uh how did you end up getting into jikundo and you ended up working right you went straight to the top because there's a lot of people who teach Jeet Kune Do. And for those of you who don't <laughs> know, uh, Jeet Kune Do is a method. The, the founder of Jeet Kune Do, uh, Bruce Lee, would say it was a method, not a style. And the way of the intercepting fist. Eventually, his student, he had a few students, and Dan Inosanto being one of the main ones. Um, and then now it's taught across the world by many people. But Dan Inosanto, names like Dan Inosanto and Tim Tackett come up real quick. If you're looking at Jeet Kune Do, I never did Jeet Kune Do, by the way. This is this is just from my experience talking to people that have done it. Um, well, a funny story. Originally, that's what I wanted to do. When I first, if I was going to pick something, I wanted to pick Jeet Kune Do, but they didn't have it in my area. So Daniel Santo is like the top guy. And somehow you just ended up training with him. How'd this happen? <laughs> well, yeah. So, uh. Let's see. When I was 16 years old, I got exposed to Filipino Kali and uh, by a friend of mine, and and uh, and I enjoyed it. I played with it for a long time, and then uh, late late 90s, like maybe 99, something like that. 
um, I was driving, I was driving through uh, my town and I saw that there was a guy that had like collie sticks written on, like on the, uh, some sort of graphic on the side of his window or something like that. And I, I popped in and introduced myself to him. His name was Dan Smith. Uh, he was doing Filipino collie. Uh, we started to, to work together a bit. Uh, and, and I actually didn't know at that time, I didn't know who Dan Inasano was. I wasn't really like a big Bruce Lee fan. I wasn't an anti Bruce Lee. I just wasn't a huge, like, Oh my God, Bruce Lee, like everybody else was, you know? And uh, I see why they were now, you know, but at the time, and he told me, he's like, Hey, I'm going to go do this seminar. I I want a training partner. Would you be interested in going to do this partner? So this is somewhere circa 2000, you know? And uh, I was like, yeah, sure. I'll go with it. And, uh, and I went and we did the Kali and that was great. And then we started doing, um, along in that seminar, we also did uh, some JKD and some C-Lot. And I mean, that was, that was like a, like a bomb going off in my head when I saw the C-Lot and I saw the trapping on the focus mitts from the JKD. And I was like, wow, like, this is such a combination of like fancy, but effective, smooth, but explosive. Um, you know, just grace behind it, but effective. And, and just, it was, it was such a, a well balance of what I saw. And, and I didn't even understand what I saw. Like I didn't understand that sea lot was a separate art and all this kind of stuff. And it took me a while to, I think I was doing it for years before I understood the difference between like Jeet Kune Do and Jeet Kune Do concepts. And, and, and that by itself is like a landmine. As soon as you start talking, as soon as you start talking about Jeet Kune Do, versus Jeet Kune Do concepts versus Junfan, Gung Fu. And, and, and they're just going to come out of the woodwork. Like the comment section is just going to go nuts because everybody's the expert. Right. <clears throat> and so I, I try not to get into the politics of all that. Um, w- what I do know is that I saw this man, Guru Dan Inosanto, who at the time that I met him was like 64 or something like that. And he was without a doubt at 64 years old, the fastest person, not only in the room, but probably one of the two fastest people I had ever seen in my life. Uh, it was, it was so incredible. And then, then his attitude was so open and, and, and so honest. And he, he came to a seminar kind of in the Detroit area. And I was like, wow, he comes to the Detroit area. And so like, so that was it. So then I started following him. So I would hit his Detroit seminar. I would hit, uh, he'd come to uh, Waterloo, Indiana, which is a couple hours away from me as well. So I would hit that one every year. Uh, he would come to Dayton, Ohio, which is like five to six hour drive from me. So I'd, I'd hit that one while he was doing it. And he'd come to a Jeff Brown school out there. Uh, and then I would try to make pilgrimages out to, to, to see him when I could out in California. And so I was training with Guru probably three to four times a year through seminars, you know. And then when I could, uh, you know, I've been out to the academy, spent a couple of weeks out there uh, training at his academy. I try to go out for like the sea lot camps and the instructor camps, which are like four days long, and uh, just soak up what I can. I would try to train with different instructors that are here in Michigan. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of uh, JKD and FMA community actually here in Michigan. Um, and I just kind of never stopped doing it. I, I tra- train other arts as well, but I just, I just never stopped. I always recognize that no matter what I get into to keep my eye on Guru Dan, you know, because, because he's, uh, he's leading the way, he's leading the path, you know, and, it, interesting is that like, uh, I'll tell you a great story about Guru Dan. One year he, he's in, he's in Detroit and we're training and I, I'm sure you've seen like video of Sistema, like the Russian martial arts Sistema, which can look pretty there a lot of people claim that that's not a great martial art that it looks a little fake right and then it is not going to work a lot of people say that and i've never trained sistema uh but i'm humble enough to say i don't know if it would work or not because i've never trained sistema but i remember asking guru one time about like hey what do you think about little sistema guys you know i've seen some stuff that's kind of you know and he looks at me and he says you know I think I'd like to try it so that I understand what they're doing with it. And he, he didn't give me any opinion on it whatsoever. Like he had none. He was just like, Nope, I'm not going right or left on this. I'm just going to say that I think I would like to try it. And five years later, I'm, I'm going through YouTube and there's a video of Guru Dan going and taking a private Sistema lesson. And I remember thinking, man, he did it. He, 
he did it and he's still doing it from what I understand. Um, you know, like, and he's, he's still researching. And, and I think that's what really attracted me to Guru is the, that idea of like, like, it doesn't matter what this person says about the art. It doesn't matter what that person says about the art. What matters is what it does for you. And the only way for you to find that out is for you to go do it. That's it. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter anybody else's opinion. It's what you get out of it. Because there's people out there that can do amazing things in arts that I, I can't come close to. Like that art doesn't work for me. I might not have the body for it, or I might not have the mind for it, or I might not have the time that it takes to develop an effective level with it. And other people do, you know, and, and vice versa. So that was that was really big for me. And so I, I kind of subscribed to the Jeet Kune Do concept, uh, which, which in and of itself is a big hot button political term, you know, uh, but, but that idea of like any art can work because it's not the art that works. It's you working the art. You have to understand you. And the more arts that you train, the more I think you can understand you because you get exposed to having to do things differently in different ways. You know, it's, it's like music. Like I play the guitar and like, if you only play the blues, you get amazing at the blues, but but you can't sit in with other people doing other stuff, right? But if you can play, if you got friends that play the blues, friends that play rock, friends that play jazz, friends that play metal, friends that play country, and you can, you know, kind of grab a little something from everybody, you can sit in and jam with everybody. So what are you then? What kind of guitar player are you? You're you. You're not a blues guy. You're not a metal. You're you. You're a guitar player. And, and that's how I think about Jeet Kune Do. It's like, it, it's, it's about you. I tell my students, it is absolutely not about you serving the art. It's not about you becoming a, a carbon copy to be another example of what this art looks like. In, in the eyes of JKD, it is about the art serving the student. You know, how, what, can it, what can it do for you? Not what can you do for it? And I think it's, and this, this goes along, and this is something I've been getting in trouble with, even with my community in Kajukembo is I'm not, I'm not dogmatic in my beliefs. I have my beliefs, but I'm not dogmatic in my approaches. I don't believe that what I do is the best. I try my best in what I do. So like, I'll, I'll be shown things and some people always tag me and stuff and they'll ask me my opinion. They get kind of shocked. Cause like, I do have an opinion on it. And I still, you asked, I, I will never just jump in and tell you my opinion. That's, that's something that I try to, I've, I've leaned far away from that. And as I get older, I do it less and less. If you ask me my opinion on something, I will tell you. If you don't, I won't. But if you ask me my opinion, my opinion might not be what you want to hear. Like some guy tagged me in a video of, of karate guys and geese kicking in a river. And I said, I don't really, unless you do this every week, I, 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 it's not for me. It's pretty much what I said. Sure. It's not for me. It's not for me. Maybe there's some benefit there. Me personally, it's just not for me. It's not my thing. It looks cool. I think it, I think it makes a cool video. I said, if you're making a video, I think it's pretty cool to sit in a river and, and cake in a river with... Uh, I'd be afraid of an infection, is what I think I said. I'd be afraid of, for me, I'd be afraid I'd get a foot infection <gasps> in the river. So, like, yes. What kind of rivers you got around you? I'd be barefoot in a river kicking. Like, I don't... That's what I was worried about. For sure. Like, for sure. That's all... That's... Maybe that's me being, I'm kind of very, I don't, I don't want to use the word, because if I say the word practical, then it makes it sound like that was impractical, but I'm, that's just how I am. <laughs> that's how I see things. And then again, if that's what you want to do, that's great. That if you, if you want to go jump in a river with your key on doing kicks and you feel that's going to give you more kicking power, then more power too. That's, that's great for you. Not for me. I'd rather just hit a bag. In my gym. Um, sure. So like this gets me in trouble. Like you're like right now. You're, I, I hear your semantics. <laughs> I see your semantics right now with what you're you're juggling. I, I can tell you. I can see what you're juggling here because I, I do the same thing with my community <laughs> as well. And I think it's because people do get dogmatic. Um, they, they they this is this is the truth and this is the way. And suddenly anything that looks like it's deviating from that way is no longer truth and is now false and no now is no longer working. And that's. So you, if you, and it's weird because again, I avoided my cousin in the very beginning of all this podcast. I talked about that cousin who got me into martial arts, and he never mm -hmm. joined a dojo because of it. He never joined. To this day, he's trained just as long as I have, and he just refused to join because he just didn't want to become that. 
<laughs> that's a news. Well, I think, <laughs> I think, I think one of the things for me, right, is um, it isn't necessarily because at one point it it was right. It, it, it isn't. It isn't any longer because like, well, this person's going to disagree and that person's going to disagree. And, and this person will agree, but then, you know, it's, it's not even about that anymore. I think that it's because over the years, I've watched me change my opinion so many times because I evolve, you know, I go through different experiences in life and, and you'll, you'll man, age brother, that will change you. Age will, age will take your opinion and flip it right around, right around, you know, like, you know, uh, I'll give you a, a good example. When I first started, gra- I didn't get into any kind of grappling until I was 30 years old, okay? And, and I started with combat submission wrestling. Uh, I was learning from Coach Sean Kitzman, who was under Sensei Eric Paulson. And anybody that's ever met Sensei Eric knows that he is amazing. He is one of the world's best on the ground. Like, he's, he's a great teacher. Um, and and I, got, I got nothing but good things to say about Sensei Eric. And anything Sensei Eric teaches you is, is, is good, and he can make it work. I've seen him do things that, like, I can't come close to. But, like, uh, uh, I remember when I was doing the combat submission wrestling, uh, we did a lot of neck cranes, and, and those are super effective. Like, those really work. And you really you can really cause some damage and some pain on people. Totally practical. But, man, let me tell you something. I like being able to look right and left. Like, that's important to me. Like, I was at a certain point in life where I can remember my buddy said, what's wrong with your neck? And I was like, what do you mean? You know, trying to look, because I couldn't do this. And he was like, you can't turn your neck. Your whole body moves like a block, you know? And and that was kind of the beginning of me. And again, I was, you know, at that point, I was probably like third, because I think I got into jujitsu when I was 32 or 33, something like that. And uh, I, I remember doing, doing Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and combat submission wrestling simultaneously for a year. So I was probably, yeah, something like that. I was like probably 32, something like that. And after a year, I really noticed like, wow, with the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, I'm, I'm able to submit people still. I'm able to control people still. But like, I can submit people without them being in this weird, incredible amount of pain. And like, when I go train with my Gracie, with my Gracie uh, uh, fellow training partners, I don't walk out of there like, damn, many Christmas, I can't move, you know? Uh, but that was like, every time I do combat submission wrestling. Uh, also, I noticed with combat submission wrestling, like uh, I was 30 and everybody was 20. And then like, you know, I was 32 and everybody's 20. And like, the, it was a, a younger crowd. And, and um, you know, like they say, uh, I kept getting older and they kept staying the same age, you know, <laughs> it just, uh, age will change, will change your opinion. So now am I a believer in neck cranks? Yeah. I think they work great. I don't teach them. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of like, if we're going to grab the neck, we got to make sure it's a good clean choke because if, if I teach you a neck crank within well, who are you going to practice that on? You're going to practice that on me. Right. As we go back and forth. And I, I have a messed up disc in my neck because of that, because of things I learned and taught my students. And then my students in turn did those things back to me. And now I have a couple of permanent injuries that I will always deal with throughout my whole life because of practical, effective things. Um, so it's not a matter of like you got to do as practical. It's also a matter of like finding things that are practical, that are also long term that you can do as well. You know, and I think that's one of the things that really drew me to the type of jujitsu teachers that I have now um, is because there are things that work, but there are also things that help preserve the body, preserve the machine. And if there's any one lesson that Guru Dana Asanto has really uh, pushed, I know it keeps coming back to that. I've had many teachers, but but he's just my biggest influence is it comes back to like, hey, you're, you know, if you're lucky, you're going to get older. So you might want to kind of plan for that. You might want to think about like, what do I want to be able to do when I get older? And that's important to me. So yeah, your opinion will change. My opinion changes. So therefore I don't try to, I don't even worry about if someone agrees or disagrees anymore. I'm just more about like, well, I might not feel the same way in five years. So maybe I should keep my mouth shut. (laughs) Yeah. And again, so, so I'm glad you brought in, that was the next question I was going to ask is how that worked, but you you answered it for me. So now, now, now I don't have to, now I don't have to ask, which, which, which really works. So yeah. Um, Definitely having an approach that is preparing you as you get older. 
And then uh, and I think what happens with martial arts, people get into it for different reasons, for different yeah. approaches. Um, and you may need, like, again, if I have a guy who, who's, who, who wants to do MMA, then, then guess what? I got to prepare him. Like <laughs> that's, that's what sort of comes down to. I got to prepare him for what's going to work. But I also, it's also important to remind them, like you said, like, Hey, you're doing this now. <laughs> you're doing this now. One day you won't be doing this. How long do you want to right. do this? Um, why are you doing this? That's always the first question that comes up when I have a, when I have a young person come in and be like, I want to be an MMA fighter. Why? Why do you want to do that? And let, let's take a look at, at that first before you just yeah. jump into a cage and start full contact fighting. Well, you got to really ask yourself why you want to do that. Because um, it's, yeah, because it's not, unlike other sports, like I want to play baseball or I want to play soccer or, or, or non-contact sports. It's a full contact sport. So you're going <laughs> to, yeah. you're going to walk away with some stuff. Believe me, you're going to walk yeah. away with some so we are all, we're almost wrapping up here, man. Um, wow, you know, that's fast. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> almost, we're almost wrapping up. I, I covered everything I wanted to cover. We got to where you're at now. I guess the only last question I'm going to have um, before we, we do get to the wrap up, we talked about how you got into BJJ and why you switched. You even brought in some of the some of the submission wrestling uh, from catch wrestling, right? Catches, catches, was can, is, if I'm not mistaken, is what uh, Paulson's all about. So you kind of talked about that, and then you went to BJJ. Somewhere in the middle of all of this, you opened up a martial arts school. Somewhere in the middle of this. Yeah. And, I, and I kind of want to get to that real before we wrap up. I kind of want to get into um, how you went from learning to teaching to opening up your own school and, uh, and, and why and how that happened. And I asked that in the very beginning, but it was kind of a bombshell to open the show with. But I think it's a great... <laughs> Now that you've explained everything else, it'll be an easier transition for you, hopefully. <laughs> um, you, you know, I mean, going going back to, you know, kicking the kicking it with the neighbor kids in the front yard, you know, sparring. Uh, I think, I, in some degree, I've always had one person I was teaching. In some degree, I've you know, since since uh, you know, since I was a kid, I've always had one person I was sharing with. Um, whether I was in, intentionally trying to be a teacher or not, I don't know, but like, you know, as well as I do, if you, you know, if you want a good training partner, you, you got to kind of make them, you know, if, if you just wait for them to come by, not going to happen. And like, I wanted to learn this stuff and I, I never wanted to wait until the next class, you know, I was like, Oh, I, I learned this thing tonight. I want to work on it tomorrow with somebody. I don't want to have to wait till class next week, you know? So I would teach my friends. You know, I would, I would, I would teach you who, who would listen. And then, uh, you know, when I was like 19 years old, I started, uh, teaching through like the local parks and recreation, uh, you know, teaching in like my, my, my local middle school gym at night, you know, or in like a local middle school classroom in the evenings and, and teaching like a group of four people, five people, you know, and I did that for, I think seven years. And then uh, I, I bought a house. I, I bought a house specifically because I had a two and a half car garage. That was my only reason for purchasing the house. Because in my mind, I saw my dojo. This dojo you see behind me is, is literally just an extension of what that little garage looked like within six months of me being there. I remember my, my father saying i was like i like that house dad because of the, the garage i think i'm gonna get that house and i remember him saying yeah you know you could park your car here and then have a workbench and maybe hang a heavy bag and i was you just don't see it you don't see it you know and in six months i had mirrors on the wall i had tommy mats on the floor i had a heavy bag hanging down you know um all all due to you know my vision but the work of of uh, like my very good friend uh Dennis Crone and and my buddy Arcel Banks helped me help me put it all together cuz I am not a handy person <laughs> um so you know it is not just me it's definitely like the love of the people around me too that helped get me there um but uh and I I taught out of there for 10 years until uh, the, a commercial location opened up around the corner from my house and we just transferred everything there and made it a little bit bigger version of my garage. And I taught out of that place for uh, uh, Jiminy Christmas, probably another seven years, 10 years, seven years, something like that until, until we got this place in, uh, in 2020, you know? And uh, so, so I've always been teaching, 
And I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that if you are going to understand your art, like really understand it, you need to be able to teach it. And I don't mean like you need to, you need to be able to teach it, but like you have to teach it in order to like uncover the layers. Because if you take any art, it doesn't matter. You just pick any of the arts we talked about. If I'm learning it and it's just me going and learning it, I have to, I have, I understand it through the lens of my problems and my attributes, right? So I have the, like, I'm flexible or I'm not flexible. I'm strong or I'm not strong, whatever it might be, right? I, I, I memorize quickly or I don't memorize quickly. Like whatever my, my struggles are that I have to get over and whatever my attributes are that allow me to excel in it. Okay. But that, that just teaches me about that part of it. But then when I get a, another person in front of me and they don't learn like I do, you know, they're, they process information entirely differently than I do. And then you got to start to figure out, well, how do I speak this person's language? Like, how do I, how do I figure out how to pass this on to them in a way that they understand? And that, that opens up another layer. Cause then you're like, Oh, I, I never thought about it this way before. And now I have my method and this other guy's method for teaching the next student. And then that student, there'll be something unique about that person, you know, and, and, and all of a sudden that helps me understand more because I learn more about the art. I can see it differently from their perspective. And I think the more you're able to teach, the more it teaches you about the art, the more it teaches you about yourself. Uh, and the more, just the more you're able to help other people. And, and once you get to that point, I think that's what really makes you a good teacher is just keep teaching and make sure that you care about the person you're teaching. If you don't, if you don't care whether or not they get it, then they're probably not going to get it. Right. If, but if you do care, <clears throat> you know, uh, um, this is an old saying, but Sifu Rick Faye said this uh, to me in 2016. I had heard this a lot in my life, but it really, it really struck home. I was at an instructor conference at his place out in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, and, and he said that like, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And that is so true. That is so true. And if you can get to that point where you actually care about the students and you care about what it can do for them, uh, then the way you teach is going to be different. And you're going to be able to apply all those different layers and all those different lessons and all those different lenses that you can see through to that person. And then they feel that and they get the gift, right? They get that feeling like, oh man, I, I get this. I like this. And they get, they get that excitement. They pass that on to another person. And that, I think that's really key to creating like a, like a good dojo family. Like that, and that, I don't consider us like a gym. I consider us a dojo, even though like we don't, I don't teach strictly Japanese arts. Um, you know, I come from that mindset and I'm, I'm a big believer that like, I want a dojo. I want, I want a family of people. I want to come in and be able to say, say like, you know, I know like when, when somebody comes to my door, I say hello to every single person, every single night that comes to my door, not because it's good business, but because I'm grateful that that person's here. And I know I'm going to have fun with that person tonight because I've gotten the time to get to know them, to get to know their personality, which means I can joke with them, you know, and if I can joke with them, we can laugh. We're kind of rib back and forth. You know, that's respect and love. And, and it's okay when they accidentally punch you in the face. You don't get mad, <laughs> you know? So I think, I think that lesson of love is the most important thing to me, truly. And I think that's the, I think that's the, the best thing I've gotten from martial arts is, uh, I guess I've, I guess I've kind of learned how to love through the martial arts. All right. Well, I think that's a great way to wrap up the show. Before we finish, is there anything you want to plug in? Um, uh, I'm not sure when this is going to come out. So if you say something specific, like a seminar within the next week, I probably wouldn't mention something like that. I'd probably mention something like <laughs> down the year. Cause I've had some people do that to me. They're like, oh, next week. And I'm like, ah, now I'm going to have to edit this thing and get it out. Like tomorrow. So like, you know, I will warn um, you about what you be careful what you plug. I say that broadly. So uh, how uh, I'll put it this way. Um, you know, so I'm, uh, we're KSK martial arts. We're located in Lansing, Michigan. You can find us at kskmartialarts.com. If you go to like our events page, it'll have a list of like the different seminars and stuff that I'll be doing throughout the year. We're working on it right now. We're hoping by the end of the month to have them up for the year. We're working on our calendar. Um, I know that I'll be in, uh, East Bridgewater, Massachusetts, which is like the Boston area at Daryl Smith's place, which is the mass Academy of martial arts, which we also refer to as KSK Boston. I'll be there three times this year. I'll be doing a, a private jujitsu seminar there for one of them. Uh, I think in the summertime, I'll be there to teach JKD. I think in, uh, somewhere in like October, maybe in the fall, I usually go there to teach Kali. Uh, I know we're going to be in, uh, 
uh, Pooler, Georgia, I believe in April. Uh, I think we're going to, I'm going to be in York, Pennsylvania. Um, oh shoot. I forget the date right off the top of my head, but we're going to get all this up on, on the website for upcoming events and things like that. So, uh, you know, that, that'd probably be the best way to check it out. Just go to the website, kskmartialarts.com, go to the events page. and I'll show you where, where you can, where you can track me down throughout the year. And to make this easier for those of you listening, that's KSK Martial Arts. For those of you watching on YouTube, and if you're listening for, from this on wherever you're listening to, I do recommend you check out the YouTube, the video. I feel the video goes a long way. But um, here we are. I Googled KSK Martial Arts, and this is the website, if I'm not mistaken, KSK Martial Arts Home. Is this, this look good to you? Yes, sir. Okay, so I clicked there. So. That's the one. All right, good. <laughs> All right, it, was, it wasn't something crazy. It was, it was, yeah, there you are. There you are. <laughs> and there you are. Man, so, man, martial arts, it'll come up and, um, and you can look there for more information about their school and their upcoming seminars. All right. Well, Kent, thank you so much for coming out and sharing your martial arts journey here on the show. Uh, for you listeners of the social Jello with Angelo podcast, thank you for supporting the show. We've finally hit over a thousand subscribers. So I'm an officially, a YouTuber sounds weird saying that. I'm never, I'm never going to be an official. Congrats, man! That's awesome. I'm never gonna, I'm never <laughs> gonna, I'm never gonna embrace that title. But, but I will say I appreciate you supporting the show, and maybe I'll get enough views to 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 pick up a bowl of rice or something. Uh, I used to say buy a hamburger. But <laughs> it'd be nice. Either way, thanks again. Again, uh, I release about lately one of these a week, but please don't expect that out of me. <laughs> I like originally I only did one a month and lately it's been one a week uh, I'm not going to promise you one a, mo- a week but I will say at least two a month so stay tuned for more episodes of Social Jello with Angelo and I'll catch you all next time